There was once uh, a rich businessman who was a collector of uh, valuable antiques and paintings. And uh, one day he heard of a painting that was worth millions of pounds. And he immediately desired it in his heart to add to his collection. He had a a yearning for this painting uh, that he might own it. And so immediately uh, he sent out instructions that this painting should be searched for, uh, that they should find out who owned it and so that he could buy it off them and add it to his collection. Uh, Well, eventually, uh, news came back. The painting had been found, and it was in a warehouse. Uh, But with great embarrassment, the businessman realized that the warehouse was his, that he already owned the painting. He had bought it many years before, but he had forgotten He thought his happiness would be made complete by something he already owned. And that's kind of a uh, parable for life. Uh, We're all searching for joy in some way, aren't we? Uh, It's part of human nature. We want to be happy. And we're all looking around for something that will make us content, make us happy, give us joy. Uh, But so often, the things we think will make us happy don't. Uh, Like that man, he thought this painting would make him happy, and he did not realize that he already owned it, and it had not made him happy, or else he would not have wanted more. Joy is, in fact, one of the most difficult things to find in life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had someone uh, say to you, just cheer up. It's one of the most frustrating instructions to be given uh, because you can't just cheer up. Uh, You can't just be happy. It's not something you can just sort of flick a switch and suddenly you were sad before, but now you're happy. It doesn't work like that, does it? Uh, Joy isn't something you can just manufacture out of thin air. It's not as easy as that. But in this passage, the passage we just read, Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of the 12 uh, special friends of Christ, he shows us, he tells us how we can find joy. And not just any joy, he calls it joy inexpressible and full of glory. You can read that in verse 8. He says we today can have joy which cannot be expressed, which is full of glory. So it begs the question, where? How? How can we find this joy, which I'm sure all of us on some level or another, want. He tells us in verse 6, in verse 6, Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. And the this that he's referring to is what he has been talking about 
in the previous three verses, what we were looking at last week. Uh, The this which believers can rejoice in is the internal inheritance that we have in Christ. Uh, If you were here last week, you'll remember how we saw that a Christian need never fear missing out on anything worthwhile. The reason is because we have been given, as verse 4 tells us, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. No matter what joys you can have in this life, no matter what joys you miss out on in this life, it is more than made up for in the new heavens and the new earth which God gives to all who repent and trust in Christ. Uh, That is the inheritance that believers have. Uh, We have all things through Christ. And because of that, we should rejoice. Uh, Because the thing which makes us happy is something which cannot be taken away from us. It's not like the painting, which, a painting which can be destroyed. It's not like gold which can rust. Uh, it's not like your career which can fail. It's not like your health which will fail one day. It's something which is incorruptible and undefiled and reserved in heaven for all who trust in Christ, won for us by him, by his death on the cross. And that's true even if we go through difficulties in this life, even if we go through inconveniences and difficulties and even suffering. Did you notice what Peter says? Verse 6, he says, In this, the inheritance Christ has won for all those who trust in him. Uh, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, Peter says you can rejoice, believer, even though for the moment you're going through heartache and pain and difficulty and struggling, you can still rejoice because your inheritance remains reserved for you in heaven. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again. Uh, This world to the Christian is essentially like a hotel. Uh, We stay here for a time, but it's not our home. And we have an eternal home which cannot be taken from us. So the bad things that happen to us in this world don't touch us in the same way that they would someone who this world is their home. Uh, If you're in a hotel and you discover there's a leak in your roof, uh, it might frustrate you. It might make your life a little bit inconvenient, but you won't despair because you know you've got a home which does not have a leaky roof, safe and reserved for you. Uh, You might uh, have a fire in the hotel, and that might be um, disturbing for you in the moment, but at rock bottom you know it's not your home. You don't own it. You're not the one who is ultimately going to suffer because you have a home fixed and reserved for you. And it's like that for the Christian in life. Uh, We are affected by all sorts of bad things. Uh, Christians are not exempt from suffering um, any more than unbelievers are. All human beings suffer in some way. Uh, Your holiday might be cancelled. 
You might not pass your exams. You might lose your job. You might be diagnosed with a serious disease. And all these things will affect us, like the leaky roof in the hotel. But they need not rob us of our joy. Because our joy is not rooted in this world, or it shouldn't be. It's rooted in an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, reserved for us in heaven. That is the true source of joy. Having your joy and resting your joy in something which is not depending on this world. But having said all that, uh, it does beg a question. Uh, It begs the question, well, why does God even allow us to go through suffering in the first place? Uh, Last week, we were looking about how much God loves us. Uh, how much God loves us by sending his son to die for us and redeeming us and giving, in, giving us this wonderful inheritance in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. But if God loves us that much, why do we have to endure pain now at all? Why doesn't God just take us straight to heaven? Or why doesn't he just make life nice and easy for us while we're on earth? Because life's going to be great in heaven. Why have this period of pain and difficulty now? There's cancer, there's grief, there's heartache, there's redundancy. Uh, All these things cause us pain. And you'd be an unusual Christian not to sometimes ask, why does God allow this if he loves me? This doesn't feel like love. This feels like hatred. If God loves me so much, why is he allowing these difficulties? Well, Peter gives us the answer, or at least a answer to that question. And it's often the case, by the way, um, that these difficult questions that we have, which we might think don't have an answer, the Bible answers very, very clearly. The problem is we often don't like the answer And so we do not hear it. We do not hear the answer God gives us because we do not like it. But listen to what Peter says in verses 6 and 7. Peter says, In this, our inheritance, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that, or so that, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter in verse 7 tells us why God allows us to go through suffering of various types and sorts and all sorts of different struggles. And it can be summed up under three headings. Uh, based on verse 7. Firstly, it's because suffering tests the authenticity of our faith. Uh, Secondly, suffering enables us to glorify God more. And thirdly, suffering now increases our glory later. That's a very brief summary of what this verse 7 says. Uh, So let's look at those three things in more detail so that we can understand why suffering in our life isn't an evidence that God hates us, but actually it's an evidence of God's love. 
So let's look at the first one. Uh, suffering tests the authenticity of our faith. Verse 7 again, Peter says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The way we respond to suffering reveals the genuineness of our faith in the first place. Uh, The way you respond to the inconveniences and the difficulties and the suffering in your life will reveal whether your faith is genuine or not. Whether your hope is in this world, in what this world can give you, or whether your hope is in Christ and what he gives you. Now, to be absolutely clear, um, this does not mean that a true believer must enjoy suffering. Suffering isn't enjoyable. It's not supposed to be. Uh, It does not mean that believers must want suffering. Uh, You'd be foolish and insane to want suffering. Uh, It does not mean that believers don't want to avoid suffering. We all do. It does not mean that believers don't want suffering that is happening to stop. Of course we do. And we pray for those, uh, our brothers and sisters who are suffering, that their suffering would cease because we love them, we care for them. But what it does mean is that a true believer continues to have hope even in the midst of the worst suffering because their hope was not based on whatever whatever the suffering takes away. Their hope is based on something, someone different. Uh, When I was in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago uh, on the um, Beach Mission Christian Answer team, uh, one of the team met a girl um, who was at the bookstore and uh, she explained that she was in a difficult situation and she said that once she had faith, Uh, She was a believer once, but something bad had happened in her life and she had prayed to God to solve the problem, but God did not answer her prayer. Uh, Her prayer remained unanswered and she said she lost her faith. Uh, She lost her faith because of the unanswered prayer. But in light of what Peter says, do you see... She failed the test. Because, you see, she wasn't looking to Christ and what Christ offered, because Christ never promises us ease and a pain-free life. In fact, he promises the opposite. In this world, you will have much tribulation. But she wasn't looking for that, the promises which God offered, She was looking for something else and hoping Christ could help her get that thing. And obviously we sympathise with her pain and with her difficulty. But nevertheless, her reaction to the suffering demonstrated that her faith was misplaced. She wanted Christ to give her the thing she wanted. She didn't want Christ. This is what suffering does for us. Uh, Suffering tests the reality of our faith. What are you really living for? 
What is your hope really in? This is what suffering tests for us. In a few moments' time, I'm going to sing a hymn. And one of the verses of that hymn express what a heart of faith says in its best moments. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote, If peace and plenty crown my days, they help me, Lord, to speak thy praise. But if bread of sorrows be my food, those sorrows work my lasting good. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, if peace and plenty characterize my life, that's wonderful and I can praise God, who my hope is in. But if my life is sorrowful, if my life is difficult, if my life is hard, then even those sorrows work together for my good. Because his hope was in Christ. And the kindest thing that God may ever do for you, besides obviously sending Christ to die on the cross for you, the kindest thing God may ever do for you is allow you to endure some great suffering to wake you up to the fact that you are not ready, that your hope is not in Christ. That's one of the greatest mercies God can give. Because how awful would it be if you weren't ready to die, but you did not know it, and you died peacefully in your sleep, and yet you were not ready because your faith had never been tested? But God, in his mercy... He allows us to go through suffering to test our hearts to see what are you really trusting in? Where does your hope lie? And on the flip side, it may prove that in the midst of the suffering you realise my hope is in Christ. My hope isn't in this world. I remember hearing about a, a pastor who, a young pastor in America and he um, was diagnosed with a brain tumour and uh, he was in the hospital bed, and initially he was full of uh, angst and grief and wondering why this was happening to him. But then suddenly he came to the realization, I actually believe all this stuff. He hadn't gone through major suffering till that point, but he realized in that moment that he still believed, even though he was going through this suffering. He still trusted in Christ, even though his life was falling to pieces. And that was a huge comfort and joy to him, because he realized, my faith is real. It's true. It's genuine. It's not just a faith which follows Christ when it's convenient. It's one which clings to him even when time is hard. And as Peter says, that's precious. That kind of faith is precious. It is the gift of God. It's more precious than gold. And God in his mercy will allow us to go through suffering sometimes in order to reveal the genuineness of our faith. So that's the first reason uh, God allows us to go through suffering because it reveals the genuineness or otherwise of our faith. Uh, But there's more. Uh, There's a second reason, at least, uh, why God allows us to go through suffering because suffering enables us to glorify God more. Let me read verse 7 again. Peter says, So that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
when we can rejoice, even in the midst of the worst trouble, that brings great glory to God. People look at that and think, what is this? God is surely at work here when this person whose body is wasting away with suffering and pain and difficulty, and yet they're still hoping in God. That brings great glory to him. Now, God, of course, is glorified when he heals, and he does heal, and we are grateful to God when he does, and we praise him for that. But God is also glorified when someone who is not healed continues to trust him despite all that. And they say, even if he kills me, I will still trust in him. That sort of faith makes a watching world sit up and say, what is this that someone can trust even in such suffering? But even if nobody's watching, and this happens sometimes, you have believers and they're perhaps housebound, and nobody sees their suffering. Nobody sees their difficulties. There's no unbeliever looking on and saying, wow, look at their face. Uh, they're alone, they're quiet, they're um, hidden from view. But even that, the Bible says, brings glory to God. What did Peter say? He said, the genuineness of your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes back, Peter says, all the sufferings that we have gone through, all the times we have clung to Christ in the middle of suffering, will glorify Christ all the more. Uh, Now, I don't know exactly what Judgment Day will look like. I'm not exactly sure what conversations will happen on that day. But I would not be surprised if there will be people who um, Christ sentences to eternal destruction, as the Bible says he will, to those who do not trust in him. I will not be surprised if there are some people who will complain. And they'll say to Christ, how can you judge me? Look at all the pain I went through in my life. Unbelievers will say, I lost my child, and yet you expect me to trust in you. Uh, I went through extreme uh, difficulty in my life through disease and infirmity, and you did nothing, and yet you're still going to judge me. I can well believe those sort of complaints will come up. But if and when they do, God can simply point to all his redeemed children who went through similar sufferings. There is no suffering in this life that an unbeliever goes through, that there isn't a believer who has also gone through similar suffering. And God could point to his children who have gone through suffering and say, well, they believed in me. They had bone cancer too. They lost their children too. They lost their parents too. And yet they clung to me yet they continued to trust in me. If they did, why didn't you? And I believe that's what Peter means when he says that our suffering will result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ because our faith will be justified 
the whole world will see that us clinging to Christ was worth it in the end. And it will condemn all those who refuse to trust in Christ because of the difficulties in their lives. So that's the second way. Our suffering, uh, why our suffering is allowed by God. Because it enables us to glorify God more in ways that we couldn't otherwise. This leads to the third and last way that, uh, last reason that God allows suffering in our life. And the third reason is because suffering now increases our glory later. Our suffering now will increase our glory later. The Bible is very clear uh, that believers will one day be glorified too. Now, obviously, we live for the glory of God, and our lives should glorify Christ. But in a wonderful way, which I don't fully understand, the Bible says that we ourselves will be glorified in heaven. And the depth of our faith now has implications for the life to come. Let me just prove that with a few verses. And before I use these verses, let me be clear. Heaven is a gift from God. Uh, There is no one who will be in heaven because they deserve to be there. Uh, Heaven is a gift won for us by Christ dying on the cross. We're sinners. Uh, We've offended God in many ways. We can't make ourselves right with God. But Jesus came down to us. He died on the cross for us. Took all the punishment for our sin if we trust in him. And gives us heaven as a gift. But the Bible teaches there are levels of enjoyment in heaven. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 27 says, The Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he'll reward each according to his works. God will reward us for our works. Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, if you are not trusting in Christ, then you are God's enemy. You have no works for God to reward. Uh, You'll be treated as an enemy of Christ on that day. But if you are a believer, if you have been given heaven as a gift, God will judge you according to your works. And your enjoyment of heaven will be affected by the life that you live now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, Paul says, Each one of us will receive their own reward according to their own labor. We will receive a reward according to our labor. Um, again, Paul continues. He says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, the foundation is laid, that's Jesus. That's the only way we can be saved. The only way you can go to heaven is through Christ. But, verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
we are redeemed into the family of God. We become servants of God by God's grace. And then God gives us rewards or losses based on how we serve him. And there's a story which goes of a lady who went to heaven. It's an apocryphal story, just to make clear. Uh, but she went to heaven and she walked the streets of gold and she saw the wonderful mansions all around her. Uh, she saw wonderful tapestries and golden porches and many high stories and wonderful sumptuous gardens of all these mansions. And with great anticipation, she wondered what her mansion would be like. And the angel who was guiding her took her round a final corner and she saw before her a small wooden shack. And the angel indicated that this was hers. Well, she could not hide her disappointment. And the angel responded and said, I'm sorry, we did the best with what we were given. That, in essence, is what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's saying the way we live now as believers does affect our eternity, not our destination. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. But it will affect our life in that destination. And suffering in life helps us to look to Christ and wean us away from this world. When we suffer in this world, it reminds us that we have a greater treasure. And as Christ put it, we should be laying up treasure in heaven, not on earth, because that is all wasted. That's like the wood and hay and stubble that Paul spoke of. No, he says, lay up treasure in heaven. Give your life to Christ. Lay up treasure in heaven, and it will be worth it for all eternity. And as I say, suffering helps us because it weans us away from this world and helps us to look to Christ. Again, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In other words, Paul says there, God gave us suffering. He gave us difficulty. We were burdened beyond strength. Uh, we despaired even of life. But God did that to us so that we would trust in God and not in ourselves. And that has an eternal reward which far outpasses anything this world can give, which is more precious than gold. So those are the three reasons are the three reasons that God allows suffering in our life. Firstly, it tests the authenticity of our faith. Secondly, it glorifies God or allows us to glorify God in ways we couldn't otherwise. And thirdly, it's uh, suffering now increases our glory later. It weans us away from this world that we may lay up treasure in heaven. So let me close uh, by going back to our first question. Now, how do we get joy? We all want it, but it seems so absent so much of the time. And Peter gives us the answer. It's not through this world. 
It's not through riches and wealth and antiques and heirlooms and cars and houses and jobs. It comes through faith. It comes through looking to the inheritance that can only come through Christ. So Peter says to us, stop looking for joy merely in this world. You will not find it, not a lasting joy anyway. Instead, look up. Look up at Christ. Do not set your heart on the things of this world, this world, but set your heart on things to come, things won by Christ. Look again what Peter says in verse 8. Talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ in verse 8. Whom, having not seen, you'd love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter says the reason you can joy with joy inexpressible and full of glory is because your faith is in Christ. And although you can't see him now, you will see him then. And then it will all be worth it. That's the difficulty, isn't it? That's what makes following Christ difficult. We can't actually see him. The benefits are not immediate. Uh, The benefits of gold are obvious. The benefits of a good career are obvious. The benefits of a new car are obvious. We can see those, we can feel those, we can smell those. But the benefits of Christ are not obvious. They can only be sensed through faith. But that is the path to true joy. That is the path to true, lasting joy. So let me ask you this morning. Do you love Christ? Do you love Christ yourself? If you don't, that might be the explanation why you have little joy in your life. Or let me put it another way. What difference does Jesus make in your life? Because it's easy to say, I love Jesus, I sing songs to him each week or whatever. But what difference does he make in your life? Does your love for Jesus manifest itself in the choices that you make? Because this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. The person who truly loves Christ is the person who make choices in their life which reflect their love for him. So if you lack joy this morning, start there. First of all, confess your lack of love for Jesus. And don't be afraid to confess that. Jesus came to die for sinners. If you don't love Christ, join the club. We all were like that once. Confess that to him. Acknowledge your lack of love for him and ask him to change you because of what Christ did on the cross for you. And then do what Christ says. Look to him. Listen to what he says to you and make choices in your life based on what Jesus says. Because Jesus says, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then he says, he who loves me shall be loved for my father and I shall love him and I shall show myself to him. As we walk in obedience to Christ, he shows us more of himself. As we walk in obedience to Christ, we start to see the beauty that is in him. 
And as the hymn says, I think we sang it last week, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Take small steps of obedience today and God will open your eyes to the beauty of Christ. Uh, Perhaps come to the prayer meeting on Tuesday if you don't already, even if it's only by Zoom. Uh, Because that's a way we can look and in a very small way obey Christ and look to him. Uh, Perhaps get up in the morning and read a few verses from the Bible and listen to what Christ has to say to you. Don't do these things to please him as though God sort of looks and says, wow, he's reading his Bible. Isn't that amazing? No, do it because that's acknowledging that you need Christ. It is a small look in his direction. And as you do that, as you walk in faith and obedience to Christ, your capacity for joy will increase because you'll see more of him and less of this world. That's why I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, a hymn which very much expresses that theme Uh, 644, how vast the treasure we possess, how rich thy bounty, King of grace. This world is ours and worlds to come. Earth is our lodge and heaven our home. But particularly for verse 3, as I mentioned earlier, if peace and plenty crown my days, they help me, Lord, to speak thy praise. If bread of sorrows be my food, those sorrows work my lasting Good. So let's stand to sing in closing 644.